My name is Isabella Johnston and I am the Intern Whisperer, which is a part of Employers for Change. Today's tip of the week is about accessibility on digital content. You want to remember to reduce the background opacity. When you do that, you want to increase the contrast. That makes the text easier to read for those with any visual impairments and it's just good design. Okay, so welcome to the Intern Whisperer Show, and today's guest is Steve Isaac. So Steve, I am so excited to have met you at a Epic Game event at the Serious Play Conference and to have you as a guest. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. So exciting. So um, typically how we start the show off is we ask our guests to share five words that describe them and why those five words. So what are the words you would use to describe you and why? So um, I'll start with facilitator. And, um, you know, this comes a little bit uh, earlier, you know, we were chatting and you had used the term educator uh, because I've been teaching for a very long time. But, um, but I prefer the word facilitator um, because I think as there was a shift in my teaching life, um, I started to realize the importance of of facilitating the learning process, and and granted, educator falls into that no no problem. But I definitely like it over teacher and and the idea of feeling like I'm supposed to be teaching everything rather than facilitating learning. So that word um, I think is, is important to me. Uh, another is connector um, or community builder, and one of the things I've just loved. Um, you know, during my life is bringing people together, whether it be groups of friends or introducing people or, um, you know, in, in the education space, uh, you know, building communities among educators, uh, especially as, you know, being involved in game-based learning and, and game design, there mm -hmm. often weren't many others doing what I was doing in my immediate surroundings. So it became really important to find your community um, so I, I've really, really embraced that and, and just love it. I mean, I really like bringing people together um, and sort of seeing, you know, relationships form out of that. Uh, can't not use the word gamer. Um, I do love games, whether it be tabletop games or video games. Um, you might see in my background, I have my uh, Nintendo NES and SNES Classic, my Nintendo Switch, my Xbox. Um, you know, I... I I just love and I'm fascinated by games. Um, sometimes I think more as a collector than necessarily a player, but uh, but I do love love games, um, you know, and they've been a big part of my life. Uh, another word that I think is important for me is accepting, and I, I think um, I think it's you know I, I I view myself as somebody that's very accepting of others. Um, I really. I really hope that people feel that they can be themselves um, and certainly hope they can feel they can be themselves around me. I, I definitely think that we live in a world where that's not always easy, um, but yet I really value people's individuality and whatever in whatever form that may, may take. Um, and I think I would like to think that or hope that more people could could sort of start being more 
accepting in general. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not perfect in that area, but it's definitely something, a core value that that's very important to me. And, you know, definitely a family guy. Um, my family is very important uh, to me, you know, going to my, you know, extended family, but, but certainly my, you know, immediate family right now, I um, have a lovely wife who, um, you know, we've, gosh, been married for 28 years, um, Whoa, which is congratulations. pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty awesome. And, and sometimes seems, you know, miraculous. Um, and we have two great kids and, and, you know, they're at the center, you know, of, of, of my universe for sure. Oh, those are really great things. And just so our listeners know, we actually have never defined these terms. Uh, how would you define the difference between a facilitator and a uh, an educator? Because there is a big difference. And like yourself, yeah. I made that leap also. Okay. So, yeah, I think, I mean, traditionally, I think when we think of educator or teacher, we think of somebody whose role it is to, in my in my belief, to to impart knowledge and to be sort of, even for uh, for lack of a better term, maybe the keeper of the knowledge at times, and and the one to 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 give that out and um, expect our students to learn because we <laughs> shared what we shared with them. And as a facilitator, I believe it's much more important to facilitate the learning process. I, I think students need to own they're learning for their own sake. I think we need to learn because we're interested in learning and because, um, you know, problems are meaningful to us and that learning to, and understanding comes from that. Um, I've always been a big fan also of, of, of constructivist learning, which is, you know, sort of in my mind, the idea that we learn from all of the experiences around us you know, again, not from somebody telling us something, but maybe from a collection of all of the different things that we're exposed to. Um, you know, so I think it's important that we do distinguish that and, and that we allow people sort of a freedom to learn, but that we're there to support them. Yep, I totally agree. Um, I feel that a lot of things that happen in education is that it's one directional. That's mm -hmm. usually how I explain it too. Whereas the whoever the teacher is in front of the room, they disseminate all of the information one way. And it's right. not as um, interactive or maybe as engaged as what it could be. And facilitators, right. open that box up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like to your point, like I've learned so much from, I always like to say that I learn with and from my students um, you know, I've learned a lot from them. There have been a lot of areas where they've been, you know, had a greater level of expertise than I might, but yet I can still help support them, you know, in, in certain ways. Um, so I do think that's all, you know, really so important, um, you know, to, to acknowledge, you know, that that's, that that's a reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is now deemed peer and reverse mentoring, just so you know. It's Makes not sense. like, yeah, in the education realm, it's like in the classroom, it's still, you know, teaching. However, if you're in the workplace, it's youngers yeah. are teaching um, their elders or people that have more experience, not necessarily even age. Um, but it's nice. It's nice to see that it's very interactive and multi-generational mm -hmm. for sure. So where did you go to school? How'd you get to where you are now? What has that journey been like? Yeah, so I 
I went to, to Rutgers. Um, I, I'm from New Jersey. I spent most of my life in New Jersey and um, went to Rutgers and initially started studying psychology, um, thinking I wanted to be a psychologist or therapist. Um, interestingly, I started working in a group home um, for adults with, with special needs. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the terminology always changes, but it was adults who were had developmental disabilities. And I loved it. Um, a lot of what we were doing in our support role there at, at the group home was helping with, you know, everyday living, you know, kind of normalization, you know, bringing, you know, right. kind of creating that, that, um, that, you know, home. Independent living. Yeah. Um, as much as possible. Yeah. 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 And so that, you know, I, I didn't really know starting that job that I was going to fall in love with it and fall in love with working with people in that capacity and such, but I did. And while I was doing that, a friend of mine at school kind of just suggested, you know, maybe I should um, also get a degree, you know, at Rutgers, they didn't have an education major, but you could get certified in an area of education. So she suggested getting certified in special education. And I thought about it and I'm like, well, you know, if nothing else, it, it, like a psychology degree is sort of like your license to go for more school where, you know, the education certification at least could lead to, you know, a career out of school. Mm -hmm. so I thought, sure, let me try that. So I did. And I, you know, ended up getting a job in special education initially, um, which is a very interesting kind of story as well. I, uh, I was originally hired, I was going to be a job coach for students leaving middle school and going to high school. And they were doing a transition program where they were going to be out in the community sampling jobs. And, and all of that was very exciting to me. I was so excited about this position because some of what I did in the group homes extended into some of their, like working in their, some of the training centers and things like that during the day. Well, <laughs> it turned out, you know, one of those days where you walk in to the, um, you know, the district office to try to kind of orient yourself before the start of your very first school year. And the the assistant superintendent asked me if I um, heard about the change in my position. I said, no. Oh, <laughs> so, that's not a good sign. No, no. So they, <laughs> apparently they found somebody with a lot more experience in that particular role. But fortunate, I guess, for me, they happened to have a position that they didn't have somebody for, which was very unique. Um, there was a family um, from a, a very rural area in China that were moved that moved to Montclair, New Jersey, and you know I believe the the family was brought over. They were from like a nomadic sort of area, and they like literally traveling around China. The kids had never gone to school in China. They were nine, ten, and twelve years old. The father, I think, was brought over by family to work in a restaurant, and these three kids were all technically um diagnosed you know as as being special needs and having developmental disability but like i said also had never ever been in school before so yeah. effectively i was hired to be like their personal um Tutor? teacher initially yeah. yeah like it was like that was my class me these three kids and then there was a a boy um a boy with down syndrome who was also in the class so that was the start now i had four students and it was going to ultimately grow from there but it was just fascinating because i was like felt like i was um this 22 23 year old kid 
now feeling almost like this, you know, sort of parental role in a sense for these three kids that, that it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, you know, grew very close to these kids. People who heard that I was hired thought I was hired because I spoke this obscure dialect of Chinese, which was as far from the truth as could be. I knew no Chinese. We had to learn to communicate, you know, across languages. And it was um but almost it was, like sign language. I you know, I don't even know. A lot I mean, of pointing. I, yeah, yeah, whatever <laughs> it took. But it was um but we grew quite a bond. It was a very interesting um, you know, it was one of those things you could never ask for or expect, um, but turned out to be, you know, pretty great. Um, but there we were in a, a science and technology magnet school. And one of the things I noticed was we had access to a lot of technology. So I would take advantage of that with my students and, and bring them in to the computer lab and, you know, find software that would support their learning needs. Um, but also they were all on different levels, learning different things. So a lot of times the software facilitated that learning, um, or at least allowed kids to be working on different things with me supporting them. Um, so that's sort of where the the interest more and more in technology and education came from and and games, because there were a lot of times where a game could be effective at um, you know, kind of supporting their learning. Mm -hmm. But uh so that's that's where that started. And then I uh, my wife and I opened um a computer training center with another couple where we ran summer camps and after school programs and later um, multiplayer gaming in the evenings. And then I got a job teaching technology courses at another, at a middle school near where our store was and, um, you know, started teaching game design as an after school club. And then ultimately asked if I could um, start a game design program for our middle school, which was essentially an elective and the rest of my career, which was like the next 16, 17 years, we I taught exclusively game design and development in middle school and then towards the end also at our high school. Was that relatively cutting edge at the time? I, I think so. I mean, the computer center that we had, uh, I mean, this is like now it's 25 plus years ago. Okay, so it had, had to be that. the big giant monitors, right? There's no flat <laughs> screens. Definitely. No, 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 no flat screens, yeah. CRT monitors. Um you know, a our internet connection at initially was a 56k line. So if you remember modems, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, yeah. we got to a point where you'd have a 56k modem in your house. But when we had this, that was considered fast internet. Um, eventually, it made the noise. Uh, no, <laughs> like that, the AOL was, noise. <laughs> no, that one didn't because it was like a it was a dedicated line. So it okay. had that idea of like how we feel about broadband, but it was <laughs> not. You know, it was, it, we thought it was fast until we started trying to play um, certain games online on the net, you know, over against mm -hmm. other teams and realized we had no capacity. So then we upgraded to like a T1. But whatever the case was, it was a really neat place for kids to be able to come and hang out and and find other kids that were interested in the same, you know, things and have a place, you know, a kind of an affinity space that they could enjoy together. So that was another really special, you know time and then i think the game design in the classroom it was definitely cutting edge i mean quite honestly not many people were teaching game design and as the years went on it got really nice because other schools would start thinking about it and they'd come visit and see you know my program and and determine if that was something that they could bring into their school um so it was fun to be you know 
you know, it, it was it, it was it was an exciting time, and it's really exciting now to see where we've come. I would call you a futurist at that time. Yeah, definitely. Um, very forward thinking and futurist, especially when you're working with people that have some type of um, challenge, whether it's a disability or it's a language barrier. Both of those are very unique, and it's able to bridge a gap that's desperately needed to um, help them feel like they're mainstreamed. That's the education word we used to use yep, to yep. <laughs> replace normal, <laughs> whatever right, right. normal is, right? right? Yeah. So, wow, that is very exciting. Huh. Um, did you ever pick up any Chinese? I'm just curious. <laughs> very, no, very little. The interesting thing is my wife happens to be Chinese. Um, so my okay you know, my, you've got uh, to be kidding me <laughs> yeah 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 so um so my in-laws you know like so they speak I, yeah but i don't know very, very little i know like um yeah hello goodbye um, hello goodbye um uh you know uh, a few things yeah like yeah like where's you know, the bathroom please, help please or or thank <laughs> you you know but um definitely not enough uh to get by yeah duolingo is your friend just yes saying. yes absolutely <laughs> That's a serious game. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what is EdTech Bridge? I saw that and I went, oh, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to know more about it. So I'm going to let yeah. our listeners gain from that experience. Sure, sure. So, you know, I used the word connector. Um, one of the things that happened um, when I was using technology with my students, I would start to get interested in the EdTech companies that created the the products and I would end up like reaching out to them for kind of whether it be support or maybe I had features I wanted to request. And what I came to find was that most of these, you know, ed tech companies were very happy to hear from and receive feedback from an educator. And then, you know, it, it led to things like becoming very involved with brain pop um, with uh game star mechanic was a product I was using. So I started to interact with the, with the staff there and everything. And before I knew it, um, you know, they were seeking advice from me, not just me asking them for, for something or whatever. And we developed a lot of these great relationships. And um, even like one of the tools my kids were using was Game Maker. So I became friendly with the people at Yo-Yo Games um, who happened to be in Dundee, Scotland. And when I was on a trip to Scotland, I, you know, visited their, their offices and such, you know, it's like, I really developed these like real relationships with these different mm -hmm. companies and did things with them. I attended some conferences, you know, with them to support them and such. And a number of years ago, um, Katia Hot, who at the time was at GameStar Mechanic, or when I first started working with her, she was at GameStar Mechanic. She moved over to BrainPop and she had an idea to talk about some of the work we'd been doing um, at South by Southwest EDU. So she proposed to me to, to um, have a, do a, a problem solving session. It was a type of session they had at South by where you basically are setting up almost like a workshop where you're workshopping a problem with the community there. So our title of this was EdTech Bridge. Um, and it was about, you know, bridging the gap between educators and ed tech um, developers. And the hypothesis essentially was that educators wanted to work with developers, developers wanted to work with educators, but neither side really knew how to 
facilitate this or to how to to make this happen. So we were really seeking a community approach to talking about this and seeing where we could go with this. And our story was, you know, that I had worked with um, Katya in two of her different positions. And, you know, I had come into their offices and done work with them as sort of a, a contractor at times and things. And, and, you know, and, and, and we had, you know, really it, it made progress. I mean, there were other things like with brain pop becoming part of their, or helping even them create, I think their ambassador program and things like that. Um, so our idea was at the end was we wanted to have a call to action. You know, we were bringing this whole community together. It was like, we didn't want to have an hour and a half workshop and then say goodbye and never address this again. So our kind of, um, commitment was to start a Twitter chat, um, which ran for years after this. So we had a Wednesday night, I think it was at seven 30 at night for an hour, a chat called EdTech bridge. And we were bringing together educators and developers primarily. And we would have topics each week that just dealt with things that were common in that space. But the real goal behind it all was to bring this these communities together to help nurture these relationships. And it was really exciting to see people that were on our chat start to figure out which, like, in other words, you start out, it's everybody in the chat. So we're just talking. But you know, these relationships formed and people started collaborating in different ways. And that got really exciting. And then we continued that and, and added, I think, a, a Facebook community and continued to go back to South by Southwest EDU and sort of report on our progress wow. over the years. Yeah. So See, it was really that's really a futurist. When you get <laughs> to South by Southwest or if you're in TED, that's how you're seen as a thought leader and a futurist. So, man, I am really uh, fortunate to have you as a guest. That is <laughs> great. You. I always strive to have those kind of people that are more ahead of what the, either ahead of the trends or they're on, you know, right at the cusp of the trends. So that is great. Um, th that had to be super exciting to get that South by Southwest offer. Have you done yeah. a TED Talk also? I have kidding. not. I have not. <laughs> Is that on your list? <laughs> you know, I, I would certainly be open to it for sure. Yeah. it's a, Now I'm on the TEDx leadership team here in Orlando. So just so you know, if you look for TEDx events, that's mm -hmm. a way that you can get in relatively more easily than the, the one that's right. uh, the big one, the big TED. So yeah. just throwing it as a seed in case you're Thanks. interested. And they're all over the country yeah. and the world. Um, well, you said a couple of things there when you were sharing that with um, the fact that you had created this community. I love that. Community is awesome. Did it become global? It oh, sounds absolutely. like it. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. Gosh, I think of so many of the people that I know now that, you know, I, I met through that way back. And it's interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with the sandbox game, which is a big player in, you know, in sort of the metaverse stuff when they had just a, an iPhone app called the sandbox that was actually initially like a science app, you know, they were involved in our community. And I remember speaking to the CEO and, and it was just, just so neat to then meet him at like a conference. Cause he had a small booth for this product. And now, I mean, they have this very big, um, you know, you know, they're a big influencer in that space, but it was like, you know, they saw the value of speaking with educators and, and all of that. And, and they're international. I forget. I don't even recall where Sebastian is from, but there are a lot of um, a lot of other international 
you know, companies for sure that got involved and teachers internationally. And, you know, it was always great. Like one of the things that's great about that whole community and what's happened over the years is like you meet these people through these Twitter communities and then you go to a conference and meet them in real life. And it's like, you know, your lifelong, your, you know, it's like your longtime friends, but just finally meeting in person. And that's something I really appreciate as well. So, yeah, I'm looking it up right now and they are on point with the metaverse too. Sebastian Bourget. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Arthur Madrid, co-founders. I, I probably met both of them. Um, I had a lot of interactions over the years with Sebastian for sure. Yeah. Yep. That looks uh, very interesting. And so that was back in 2012, it looks like. Um, gosh, I don't know when Meetup launched, but when you were describing the community also, I was going, was that pre-Meetup? Was that pre-Eventbrite? I'm not that's sure. A, that's a good question because there are so many great, like now that you mention it, like New York has a great ed tech um, Meetup community. Um, they do. You know, and, and, and things like that, you know, are similar to what we were doing for sure. But now it's easier to meet in person that way, at least. Yeah, so does Boston. They yeah. both do. New York wow. and Boston, they, they're like really big. Uh, just curious, um, I'm going, it's totally unrelated, but I'm going to the SAS TR conference. Do you guys head over there also? Which conference is that? SAS, you know, software as a service. Oh, no. It's not mean, at all what you guys do. Right, but right. But you know. mean the, the SAS, the company, because they're located right here, if that's, if I'm, no, it's, that uh, right? well, no, it's not the company, but this is an okay. event. And okay. it's SaaS TR and TR is for training. Okay. And so it's to be able to take SaaS products, which are you know focused on training and being okay. able to, you meet with investors. There's all kinds of people oh, that neat. are there. It's like a big deal. And I'm going to that one, but it oh, reminds cool. me, yeah, it's in California, um, the 13th through the 15th, but it's reminding me of like some things that I've done in Boston already. And I really would like to go to the ed tech event that you mentioned in New York, mm. but it's at the same time I'm going to be in California. Oh, but, but ed tech that meetup, they meet like monthly. So mm. you don't even have to. So it's definitely if you, the next time you're in New York, just see, um, you know, some good people run that meetup as well. Yeah. So I've been to good. the um, meetup event that was in Boston. I, I'll go look for the one in New York and see if mm. they do it virtually also. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Super helpful. Well, I think COVID has changed that. So I think everybody's doing meetup things like online now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So what is it that your role is now with um, Epic Games and Unreal Engine specifically? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I also, like I was telling our listeners, met you at the Serious Game Conference. So, right. So, so, you know, I'm very grateful that um, Epic Games supports education to the extent mm -hmm. that they do. Um, prior to actually starting, I applied for a mega grant um, and, and received that, but, but in the process of them, you know, reading my grant proposal, member, like the education team, which was small at the time, it's still small, but Linda Selheim um, and uh, Lisa Tenorio reached out to me because they liked the idea of the, of the grant proposal, but then also were interested in starting things with secondary education, which they weren't doing much with yet. So at that time, I was writing some lesson plans for them and things, and then started um, editing or working with other teachers who were writing lesson plans. And then the position came about, which is what I have now full-time, which is education program manager. And basically, my role involves supporting educators, um, secondary educators, so middle and high school, in 
bringing our tools into the classroom and adopt, you know, adoption of our tools. Um, and a lot of that has to do with developing resources that help with that onboarding process, help soften the learning curve. Um, you know, Unreal Engine is quite uh, an amazing and big tool. So finding a, a, a an easy point of entry for educators was really important for them to feel comfortable enough to bring these tools to their students. Um, so a lot of it is is developing those resources and working with people to support that and then doing training. We do a 30-hour a professional development experience around Unreal Engine, Fortnite Creative, and Twin Motion, where we feel that we do a really good job of getting teachers, like I say, ready to bring these tools into their classroom. And we guide them through our resources so they have a very easy starting point when they do go to the classroom and also support them in creating their own learning materials that they So can what was your grant proposal about? I'm curious about that because yeah. I've written quite a few grant proposals and I do want to do one with um, Epic and my yes. game, just a little shout out there okay. for Epic is our game, which is on the Steam uh, platform is Intern Pursuit Game. It is an Epic, uh, you know, we built it in Unreal Engine. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So we I are pro Epic. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, so my grant proposal when I was teaching, you know, in the middle and high school, um, it was called Scalable Game Design from Fortnite Creative to Unreal Engine. And my goal there was kind of along the lines of kids are obviously engaged and love the game of Fortnite. Um, Fortnite has a creative mode, so kids can develop their own games and experiences in that. But I also wanted to get them, my students, to a point where they were using Unreal Engine, which is, you know, such an industry standard game design tool, but also used in so many other industries. So the goal was to bridge the gap, get kids excited about, you know, Fortnite, which is made with Unreal Engine, but with mm -hmm. the idea of, of helping them, you know, scaffold their learning to get up to using Unreal Engine. Um, so that was, yeah, that's what we did. And how a much lot of, was your grant for? What'd you get? $25,000, um, which was great for a teacher who was basically that served to fund sort of the development of the the curriculum and such congratulations on that Thanks. that's a big deal too yeah, yeah thank you thank you for real yeah um so you yeah well and then let's talk since we're talking about it what is the epic game grant all about yeah so the epic mega grant um epic uh committed you know to supporting um with a hundred a hundred million dollars of grant funding basically for people who are doing kind of cool and innovative things with our tools. So one of the things that that excited me, and again, this is why I feel so strongly about, you know, the company is that out of the different areas that they were supporting, education was clearly one that they mentioned right on the site about things they're trying to support as education, as well as game development, as well as film. So there were some people doing, you know, getting grants for probably feature films and big triple A games or aspects of them. And then education was also one of the the aspects that they were, you know, supporting. So, you know, so thrilled about that. And um they actually just um yeah, they just revamped sort of the application process, but that's available on the Epic Mega Grant website. That's good to know because I'd like to go and tie uh the game that we have on Steam um into cognitive behavioral learning. 
Wow. And right now it's set up so that uh, you choose one of four players, just mm -hmm. so you know what it is. We are big in diversity. Okay. So there's two male, two female, and, you know, the major four race groups are there. Um, every planet has different aliens, a little bit guardians of the galaxy, a little bit men in black, you know, a little bit of those. Um, it'll have that feel. But every planet has a skill that you're playing to win. So now if we take it up another level, so it's really like a cognitive skill that people could get certifications for. Oh, wow. That would be cool. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, that's yeah. neat. I got to check it out. Yeah, it's a third person tower defense. I'll send you. Oh, please do. Yeah. Next time I see you, I'm going to bring a game t-shirt for you. All right. Um, yeah, we've got a our intern pursuit game t-shirt. I do proudly wear the Unreal engine uh, t-shirt yeah, yeah you yeah. gave me <laughs> awesome awesome Thanks. yeah anyway so we're coming back over here and um what is the hardest lesson that you've ever had to learn that changed your life yeah that's a great question um it's a tough one too but the mm. I, I would say so so this was huge for me probably both in education but also in in life <laughs> is you know that i that I don't have to be in control, you know, or, 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 or that I can, can let go of, of control in ways. And, and, and the way I'll bring that up in education, and this was a huge lesson, I mean, to the point that it, you know, without a doubt, it transformed my whole approach to teaching and learning. Um, way back when my students wanted to um, bring mine started people, well, I guess I should say I was starting to get involved in game, more involved in game based learning. And I met a lot of educators who were using Minecraft in the classroom. And I wasn't very familiar with the game. To be honest, at the time, I didn't love the game. I do now. Um, but I knew it was meaningful to kids. And I knew that there was enough about it that with what I did with game design, that kids could use Minecraft to build games and experiences. So I took a leap of faith and brought Minecraft into the classroom. I even started with um, thinking I was going to come up with this assignment idea that everybody was going to create a, like a, um, how did I, it was like an adventure game. I had sort of a model mm -hmm. in mind that I was like, well, this is something I could see happening in Minecraft. And a good friend of mine, um, Marianne Malmstrom, otherwise known as No Clue, um, <laughs> No Clue Kid, um, the first time I mentioned this, she said, well, why, why does it have to be like an adventure game? And, you know, I thought about it. I'm like, wow. So now, it actually made the assignment easier. The assignment was make a game in Minecraft, which was entirely open-ended. But the idea was, you know, what I did do was I still guided kids through the game design process, having them come up with a design document and everything. But but I didn't know the tool, so I wasn't really going to stand in front of the room and teach them how to play Minecraft to develop this. Um, so that's where, as we were talking about before with facilitator and things, I really took a step back and it was like, okay, I'm going to just have everybody understand what you need to do for this design document. But after that, it was like, and they didn't have to use Minecraft. That was just one of the many things they could use. That was the other evolution was that I allowed kids to choose whatever tool they wanted. But, you know, I was sort of saying, but now you have to own that learning. But I guess it started, you know, in a big way with Minecraft and kids started, you know, teaching me things. I started seeing what they were doing with it and was able to be really excited by what they were creating, even though I had no idea how they did it and wouldn't even pretend to act like I could do it. 
so they got to see a different side of me as a teacher was like somebody who was you know embracing what they were doing um mm-hmm. we had one kid one one part of it that i loved is i got the sense from people that you needed a server to run your minecraft worlds and this and that and I had ideas for what I would like, and but I had a, a student who said, oh, I have a server at home. I could set up a server. So he set up the server. His whole job in our class became like server administrator. And the neat thing was he knew some things, but I would come up with an idea. Like I'd say, hey, it would be really great if we could all enter one space in this world and I can go through this portal or something and go to, you know, to, to Sophia's project, or I can go through this one and go to Joey's game and we can make this whole like, which is like kind of like a metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so he, he kind of scratched his head and he went home and he comes back the next day and he says, Mr. Isaacs, I figured it out. And he installed something called multiverse. And, and then he would show me just enough that I could like give kids like the area within this um, world that they're, plot of land might be that they would build on and so i was doing little pieces as somewhat of an administrator but really he was the you know he was he was um you know the man behind the yellow curtain and Mm -hmm. um and and it was just amazing to to start to you know going to work every day became much more fun and exciting because it was always different i would sit with kids and feel like they'd have a problem and I'd be like, let's try to figure it out. Like, I have no idea about the technical, this part of it, but, you know, maybe I could support you by helping figure out what we could search for to find an answer. And it just became a whole different um, approach. And, and again, you know, prior to that, and I think this is an important lesson for educators is we, (laughs) I think, I think a lot of people that go into education, go into education because we kind of like a, a degree of control and we, want oh, to gosh. stand we <laughs> yes. want to stand in front of the room and we want to be the one that that knows everything and 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 it doesn't have to be that way and um you know and and if i could exercise that even more in my personal life there's so much we don't have control over and to try to control things doesn't typically you know you know help anything so no every day is to me it's so funny that people will retire or something i go every day you open up your phone and oh there's something new on a social app or whatever Mm. right so to to think that you're going to stop learning is well that could be it's it could be a choice but it's still going to happen yeah yeah no i would never want to stop learning that's no no that's who you are um and then what are you most grateful for so I'm grateful for a lot of things. Um, one that comes to mind is I've had this really wonderful opportunity in life to sort of let my passions sort of guide my career. And I've been given the autonomy in in many situations to kind of create my job and my, you know, I, I feel like we have, you know, I mean, if if we can, you know, create the life we want. I mean, what can be better than that? And I've been given that opportunity quite often. Um, and, you know, of course, I have to also express the deepest gratitude for my family. Um, and, and even related to the to the to the other in some ways, because I've gotten tremendous support. My wife has always been my biggest supporter and fan in terms of me going out and and and, and doing things. And, you know, it's kind of kind of nice when your 
wife can be proud of you for for things, you know, and and encourage that growth and things. So, yeah, a lot of gratitude there, and, and certainly my kids have supported that as well. It'd be nice. I don't know if this is possible. Uh, I know that we were going to talk about this nomination that you got to go to Singapore for a keynote speaker, but I'm pretty sure that your family goes, wait, can we go yeah. on this trip? So, <laughs> and of course they can. So my, my, my wife is definitely going, we already have our tickets. Um, I think my younger daughter who is taking like sort of a gap year from school and her biggest thing she wants to do during that is travel. Um, there's a very good likelihood she will join us as well. My older daughter would love to as well. I don't know if that'll work, but yes. And and one of the neat things, I mean, my wife and I work together. Um, so a lot of the travel we do, we get to do together. And even if sometimes even for a trip, she might come with me and work remotely because we can do that, even if she's not necessarily going for the business aspect. But um, yeah, which is is nice. I mean, it's nice that we can do that. It is. It is like the dream job that everybody looks for with the ability to do that. Well, we're going to take a brief break and then acknowledge our sponsor, and then we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So now we're back to the second half of our show, and we always focus on the future of. What is the future going to look like in 2030? There is no right or wrong answer because none of us can see into the future, so it's just your personal opinion. We cover a lot of topics, Steve. Some of it is about COVID and the impact. Mm -hmm. How is that going to move forward? Um, you know, remote, blended, on-site, that's always the discussion, right? Um, but we did touch on just a little bit about um, augmented reality, virtual reality, some of those things, and we covered Epic Grants. But I really wanted to focus on something that you created. I saw it come through on LinkedIn and on Twitter, and there's a book, The Metaverse by Matt Ball. You started a book club. What, what made you start the book club? So... Um, a friend, you know, on, online, first, I, I should give credit to Ben Kelly, who, um, you know, sort of uh, raised my awareness that the book was even coming out, was all excited because he had pre-ordered it. So I immediately did as well. And, you know, again, it has something to do with, I think, that whole connecting people thing. Um, I feel like if I'm reading this book and I'm excited about it, I want to share that excitement with others that are that are excited about it. So I just kind of put it out there that, hey, you know, I think maybe, and of course, you always volunteer yourself when you do something like that. I'm like, I think it would be a good idea to have a, a book club, um, you know, for this book. And and there was a nice response to that. So currently, we started it as a Twitter community. Um, and it's basically just an open dialogue around the book and around metaverse topics and, and things, um, which I'm very excited about, um, you know, from both a you know, uh, uh, both as a consumer and as an educator, um, I just think, you know, it's very interesting, you know, the direction we're going with with the Internet and, and the metaverse. Um, so, you know, and the book is is so well written and it's such a great um, I think a lot of people just hear the term and aren't sure where, you know, what it's all about. And, and this book does such a nice job of explaining both the challenges of the metaverse, the opportunities and possibilities 
and all of that. Um, and it covers quite a lot of ground. So it's a, it's, you know, it's a great, I think, primer for people to um, use as a, a, a starting point for discussions. Mm. So how did you hear about this book? I think you just briefly mentioned it, yeah. but, and where is this group? Like if somebody wants to join, can they still join? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in, in your show notes or um, you're going to provide like my Twitter um, mm -hmm. handle. Twitter's right now it lives in Twitter in a Twitter community. So Twitter has now communities you can set up. So it's kind of like a you're still feeling like you're communicating through Twitter, but it's with that smaller group because once you're in, in that community. So there's a community dedicated to the to the book talk um, and anybody is welcome, of course. Uh, and the way I found out about it, you know, was on Twitter. Um, you know, I had mentioned Ben Kelly um, is a great educator um, and somebody who's also very interested in the metaverse. One of the one of the people that I've met years ago, probably around Minecraft and all the other things we were interested in. Um, but he had tweeted out that he had pre-ordered the book, and I was like, I've got to got to get that. And and I, you know, I don't read a lot, so. <laughs> that's probably another part of the reason for it. Like I, I enjoy the interaction with people. So if we could interact around, you know, this, this book and these topics, that's great. But, uh, but I am enjoying reading it. So it's probably the only book I, I, I will read, you know, this summer, although I'd love to read many more um, snow crash. I might get finally finish after this, but we'll see. That is super good. So just so our listeners know when they find it, certainly we'll share his contact information at the end. But in Twitter, if you're looking at your Twitter app on your phone, you'll look for the little people icons. And that's the thing that they're using for communities. And you look for Metaverse Book Talk. Yeah. I wonder if it shows up that way or if you I'm looking at pay. it in my phone. <laughs> okay. But you're in the community. So yeah, I, I am. That yeah. So if you have any trouble finding it, you know, definitely send me a, a note on Twitter. We'd love to have anybody who'd like to join us. Yeah, I see a lot of really cool looking conversations in there. And I did get the book. I haven't started it, but it's on my to do list for this week. Awesome. And how I don't know how far anybody is. Is it like a real structured thing or is it just kind of people I, jump into the conversations? Yeah, I think people are jumping into the conversation. I think as you read something that resonates with you, you know, toss your thought out and then, you know, see how people, you know, inter engage with that. I want to do a few other things kind of with the community just because it focuses on things like the metaverse. Like I'd like to have some kind of casual events in some of the, the metaverse experiences. There's a, I don't know if anybody's used something called Gather, but Gather is like a 2D, you know, metaverse experience where you can go in and, you know, you could interact with at different, you could sit at a table with a small group and have a small kind of like breakout discussion. You can talk in a larger group. You can create experience areas within it, even play games in it. So things like that, I, I want to use it as an opportunity to, to kind of dabble in those spaces with other people that are interested through that community. Hmm. Um, are you going to, it's in, I think, January or February of next year, the future of educational technology? Most likely, I've I've been to that conference many times. Um, I went to it this year, but I am going next year. It's in New Orleans. Yeah, I'll look for you there. Okay, sure. please. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I have a few. I have a few submissions um, in for talks, so we'll see how how that goes. But uh, it is a great conference. 
It is. I applied for a media pass. And so when I go under the media pass, I get to go talk to everybody and go right. to anything I want. Oh, that's and awesome. I, yeah. I bring them in as guests on the podcast. And then I've got another playlist we're setting up and it's called Behind the HR Curtain. But yeah, uh -huh. it's like oh, educational cool. people too. So it's raw, uncut conversations. Um, anyway, so that's super good. And I, I will look for you there. Yes, um, definitely. So what do you think based on you were just sharing about the metaverse. Oh, I'm gonna share this too. So I'm in Orlando, Florida, and there is, there's a hierarchy, first, second, and third place in the metaverse. And we have Kathy Hackle as, oh, yeah. yeah, she's third highest in the metaverse as an expert. Uh, she represents Orlando and she's helping to um, us as we begin to brand Orlando as a place that is the meta center. So- wow. So this is what's coming. Yeah. Now it's been press releases and things like that are out. So I can definitely talk about it, but oh, I'm good. a member of Orlando tech council. And so it's always about elevating um, Orlando as a brand too. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. the, how that goes. Yeah. 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 So I'll send you some channels that you can follow a little bit more. You seem interested in that. So what do you think um, robots, AI, augmented reality, virtual reality, what do you think this is all going to be like in 2030? It's anybody's yeah. guess. <clears throat> yeah, it certainly is. Um, gosh. So, you know, AR and VR, I, I find something very interesting about that. When I was in the classroom, I was doing a lot of work with my students with VR. We were even part of some virtual reality in the classroom research with a group, uh, an organization called Foundry 10 in Seattle. And my goal there was to work on with students on creating content, you know, for VR. And part of that was my thought was everything in VR felt like it was very much in beta. Like they would put out these products, but it would be like, I'd still feel like nothing was quite ready for prime time. Mm -hmm. And I think we're still on a very slow path for that. Um, we've made progress. I, I think there are certain things you could do in VR that are unique and interesting, um, you know, and all of that. I, I think certain things like experiences around empathy are powerful in VR because of the immersion and probably because there are less distractions outside. But I think we have a long way to go. Um, similar with AR, although we're doing very cool things, I think, I think, you know, as we start realizing that we can create 3D scans out of everything in the world now, I think we're going to see much more in terms of interesting, you know, digital twins. Um, oh, we have that in Orlando. We have a digital twin also. Yeah, yeah. So I think there'll be more of that kind of thing coming. I think, I think, you know, gosh, with, I mean, AI, you know, like, I think we've made tremendous advances with, you know, um, self-driving cars and that technology. I don't know if we'll get to the point by 2030, where you would literally just, <laughs> I keep envisioning a time when instead of facing the steering wheel that all four you know people in the car will be facing each other because the car is like truly driving. Yeah, so I don't know if we'll get to that by then. Um, that would be kind of cool, I think, if we get to this point where you, know, you just plug something into the GPS and your car safely gets you there. Um, in some interesting ways, it could probably do it often safer than we could because of both cars if both if every car is doing it you know they're gonna watch out and uh 
you know, respond differently and better, I hope, <laughs> to each other. But we'll see. So AI in, in ways like that, I think, you know, is, is really interesting. Um, I mean, robotics, we've seen tremendous, um, you know, progress in terms of like things like robotic surgery and, and all of that. So, you know, I don't know how far we'll go in terms of, you know, are we going to, you know, is it going to be the Jetsons? You know, I don't quite know. Um, but with the metaverse, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's, I guess, one of my main areas of interest. And I, again, I still think we have a long way to go because we have very, we have a number right now, we have, I think, an idea of what these metaverse experiences are like, and we can live them to a point, um, you know, like you could go to a Travis Scott concert in Fortnite with 10 million other people, you know, interesting how the technology has to be fragmented to do that, but but that's at least the idea. Um, but, you know, and the book will reveal a lot of this too. I think we have some interesting challenges around the power of computers that's necessary, the, you know, the, the transfer of data and the bandwidth that there's always going to be some limitations there that, you know, might present challenges, um, interoperability around like, you know, if I buy an item in one environment, you know, do I, can I easily take it with me to all these other different applications or can I hop from one game world to another and maintain my presence with my same avatar? You know, are those things really going to, you know, what what's going to, you know, make, what what's it going to take to make that happen? So, um, but what I find exciting about that, and this is where I think the, the the companies, including, you know, Epic, that are most excited and interested in the metaverse are on board for the fact that they have to work together in order to create this open metaverse, which is so exciting to me. So it's like, you know, we're not saying we, I mean, or or I hope not. I mean, some companies would like to be. I don't think we want a company that's going to be the metaverse, you know, like the, like America Online used to seem like it owned the internet, right? Like we don't want a company to do that, but we want companies working together. And the fact that there are so many big companies that are willing to, you know, collaborate in a way in order to, to get to that vision, I think is super exciting. And, and really, I think transforms a lot of like, like there's going to be a, a, the economy piece is going to be a big part of it, but, but I don't think we're saying that we, you know, but, but at the same time, in order for it to happen, there has to be this cooperation among, um, you know, these big companies and such. So it'll be really interesting to see, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's set our, you know, calendar for uh, eight years from now and we'll revisit this discussion and see, you know, where we are <laughs> in mm -hmm, 2030. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of these things. I don't think people know what's going on in Orlando, to be honest. We have the biggest um, simulation and training right. conference, the ITSEC conference ITSEC, is right? here yeah. every year, uh, right at the end of Thanksgiving, first week of December. Mm -hmm. We also have a phototonics. We have uh, a plant that's now up. Um, we have all types of crazy, crazy technology things that are here. Um, Miami is also part of the cryptocurrency. Right. So there's right. there's so much here. I think yeah, that the, yeah, like you cannot believe in, and 
when people hear about it, they go, wait, what? Because <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. we have this great standard of living here. So yeah, wow. yeah, it doesn't get cold like it does in other places. <laughs> Not as cold for sure. No. Um, all right. So we are going to be closing in here on the end of the show. We have about five more minutes, but I want to throw one more question at you here. So when you were mentioning autonomous cars and all of these things that you were talking about, we have Luminar Tech, those are autonomous cars. We actually have some cars that um, are being tested in Lake Nona that drive themselves um, and like, you know, cabs, I'll call it, if you will, Mm -hmm. and some little buses. Um, so a lot of those things are here. But what I think that I haven't seen as much as, um, you know, the Star Trek, the old Star Trek where it's, beam me up Scotty yeah and all of the particles you know and then you land there that's what I think is I don't know wow. I think they're secretly testing it and I think it's gonna to imagine, happen but it, that's it's funny you say that because and I'll just kind of um you know I <laughs> one of the technologies I always had a really hard time with was the fax machine I never yeah. quite I never quite trusted for one I always had to call the person I faxed something to to see if it really got there but the technology just seemed odd to me. Like I'm putting a piece of paper in here and I understand, you know, especially with current technology, I can kind of imagine how it works, but the idea mm-hmm. of putting a piece of paper in here and it ending up there kind of made me just kind of laugh a little thinking about your idea of the teleportation. Like that paper clearly is not being, you know, going to these particles and then going there. But that's kind of what came to mind for me is my probably impression of what was happening with the fax machine and the thought of of us being teleported like that just sounds incredibly hard to imagine. Um, I believe we will certainly find very fast ways of transportation. I, I don't love the idea of my body being, um, you know, whether it be decomposed. Particleized, then, yeah, right? I don't know about that. But um, I guess if it got me, you know, to Europe in, in minutes, maybe I'd be okay with it. But uh, I don't know. It sounds like a... Sound, sounds like trouble waiting to happen. You know, see, that's the thing, Steve. Everybody thought that about, you know, flying. Let's go back to sure. the Wright brothers, sure. right? No, man cannot fly. Right. No, man cannot go into outer space. No, no, no. But yet it's happened. Yep. So, yeah. and, and I certainly am, you know, very excited about what's possible and, and, and you know, and, and the advances we could make. But, you know, every once in a while you have one that, might not sit so well so it'd be interesting i think they're doing it we yeah, just don't even maybe. know about it because like i was looking up when did um when did the internet get started it was back in the 50s they were yeah. cre- you know over yep, there in yep, the you're right in boston you know people are working on it so right i don't know i'm gonna throw this one out sorry listeners but um, I don't know how many animals have died in trying to, you know, particleize them and move them places. But I'm hoping mm. they're doing it with tomatoes, not yeah, with. Yeah, you could do it with a. You could do it with a, a book. You know, it's still it a living, <laughs> a, a living item is a plant, right? You can right. still test things I that guess way. If you have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, right. no monkeys yeah. were harmed with this experiment, right? Or dogs. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Right. Anyway, what is the best mentoring advice that you would like to share with our listeners? And it can be your advice. It can be something mm-hmm. that's been passed on, living sure. or dead, I, anything. You know, I think that if we could support, you know, people in following their passion, um, you know, like, I, I like the fact that I can say that 
even though my path doesn't seem like like as an educator, you know, um, the fact that I was able to also integrate my passion for games and things like that, you know, I think allowed me to always kind of have that, you know, somewhere in the in the mix. Um, you know, if we could support, you know, kids in finding and nurturing their passion, I think then we're doing a service to everybody. I think people excel at things that they're excited about. I think we have, you know, always had sort of strange ideas about what people should do. Um, <laughs> my my daughter's reading a book right now. I think it's called F the Shoulds, Do the Wants. And, you know, there's something to that that I, that I can agree with. Um, you know, and I want her to find that. I want, you know, I... I'm not the biggest fan of traditional education. I, th I think in in education we that should be our 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 mission there. You know, is to help kids find and nurture their passion, um, whatever people. that might be. Just yeah. even people, right? Because people, we have non-traditional age students, people that go yeah. back to school, single parents, all kinds of right. people. So yeah. and seven careers, Steve. Seven. Right. Right. So... And the interesting thing is, so I haven't had seven careers per se but I've reinvented myself within my career path numerous. Yes. Times, within know? the industry you've yeah. been in. So yeah, it's definitely seven times. Yeah. Right. Based on what you've shared here, I'm going, my God, you started a giant community that counts as one. That's not yeah. easy. You were a classroom teacher, but then you were also over here working, being so innovative with, you know, anybody that was at risk and whether they were, you know, English ESOL students mm -hmm. or, in this case, you know, people with special educational needs. Yes, you have done all of these things and you're very future forward with, you know, working on even that grant to bring, you know, STEM into a place that it just wasn't there before. Okay, I'm just saying you are Thanks. that futurist. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, what do you say? But, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you are. Well, how can people find you? You know, what yeah. is it that you want to share with us? Sure, sure. Um, absolutely, Twitter. I love. You know, I've I've made so many you know great connections on Twitter that have turned into great friendships. Um, and part of that community building. So, you know, please um reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Mister like M R underscore Isaacs I S A A C S. And on LinkedIn, um, I think the profile is under Steve Dash Isaacs. I S. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So please, yeah. Uh, love to hear from you. I'd love to connect. Um, you know, it's, it's what I like. <laughs> that is perfect. So just so our listeners know too, all of this information you'll find either if you watch this video, um, you'll see it in video form. It'll be on our YouTube channel, and it's in the description, so you can find that contact information there. And if you listen to it on a podcast, you will find it as part of the description of the show and you'll be able to track him down <laughs> just so Easy. that people can find you. Steve, this has been great. I've really enjoyed the Thanks. conversation. I have two Unreal Engine t-shirts. I want to get a third all right. one. They're all, all right. different. So oh, cool. I'm looking for whatever the third one is. I have a new one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you, uh, I work out of a place called Orlando Game Space. And nice. there's about 40 game companies in there, different people. Wow. Yeah, they're usually um, VR, simulation, AR, oh, cool. a lot of those things. But um, Unity has presence there. I have been trying desperately <laughs> to get Unreal to have a presence in there also. 
So I'm going to keep having that as a conversation, maybe cool. with you. Um, but I am the only one that has an Unreal Engine t-shirt that wears it in the place. Great. Keep so wearing it. <laughs> I will. And they all are impressed because ah, Unreal is a great product. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you for being a guest and I look forward to seeing you at some of the upcoming yes, conferences. Definitely. Thanks, Bella. It was great. Great to speak with you. I want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Ayana Saunders, and our music by Sophie Lloyd. Would you like to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show? Be sure to record it, send it to us as an audio file to info at e, the number four, the letter C, dot tech, and include your name, your job role, and where you work. We'll give you a shout out there, and we will also email you some green screens that you can use on your next video conference call that come from our Intern Pursuit game. Be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while scaling your people for the future of work. We want to thank you for supporting our show, The Intern Whisper, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel or on Podbean, and be sure to watch it on our YouTube channel.